folks must all be aware of that famous dialogue. If you want something bad enough, the universe will do everything it can to get it to you. Max Verstappen has broken the record. Actually, he's tied the record. Maybe that's what I want for him to break the record. But no matter <laughs> what happens, everything can go wrong around him. It might rain on the second lap. He might make a mistake in qualifying. He might go on the wrong strategy and be 14 seconds down and two cars away from the race leader. Yet, regardless of all of that, at the end of it all, the universe might break apart, people might die of hunger and the world might be shaking and the sun will not shine, but Max Verstappen will win a race. That's what seems to be happening these days. He's finally tied Sebastian Vettel's record and it's just not sinking in yet. It is wrong. It just does not make sense, Kunal. Sebastian Vettel's record has been equal. This is not right. It, it, in its very fabric, I don't like the words that I'm speaking. Why? A records are meant. Vettel. Yeah, but you know, records are meant to be broken, rewritten. Imagine this, you know, forward seven days from now, which is after the Monza race, and you'll be like, a new record has been made. Max Verstappen now has 10 wins in a row. And then imagine this after Singapore, you're going to say 11. And what will happen by the end of the season? Will he have 20 wins? Is that what we're going to say? Is that the record that we are all looking at? And I actually love it. I mean, different track, different conditions, different rivals, same winner. Yeah. And isn't it kind of interesting, Sundaram, that no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are, Verstappen, even on some of his worst weekends, still comes out on top. I think that's the mark of a champion, no? that your worst days are still better than all the other ones, not just as a driver, but as a combination with that team and driver. It's beyond me, actually. I, I don't even know what more can be said about it. That's a very interesting point that you made because that's what I was go also going to mention. Yesterday probably was one of the most trickiest races for Red Bull this season and still they went on to win it. The, and under changeable conditions, the driver and the team, they stuck it together and they made the right strategic call. They didn't mess it up in the pit stops and still he won the race. And which is amazing to see, nine consecutive race wins equaling Sebastian Metal and something positive for the Ferrari fans as well. The first driver to do it was Alberto Ascari 70 years ago. But I have a very interesting fact to put out straight away. Every single time a driver has won three, nine consecutive races, that was the last time they won a title. Ascari wow. in 1953, Vettel in 2013 and Verstappen has won nine right now. This is courtesy of one of my followers on Instagram, Daksh Kotari. So I think this is one of the best stats from this weekend. Wow. wow. But, but we, we actually spoke of everything they got right. And Somil actually asked the question, even when he has a bad weekend. Seriously, guys, I can't think of when last Max Verstappen has had a bad weekend. I can't think of it this year. Maybe I can't think of it last year. 2021, Jeddah qualifying, great lap, ends it. Mm. I, that's the only memory I have. And I'm sure everybody who listens and you guys know that I really can't remember a lot of things when it comes to Formula One. <laughs> no, there was also one race earlier in, earlier on in the year. I think it was Jeddah this year where Max had a technical issue. But that doesn't even matter because it feels like a different championship on its own. And the interesting part is for Sergio Perez. Ah, where do we go with this? A certain victory eventually gone wrong. But let's get to all of that in a second. 
Let's firstly tell you who we are and what we do. This is the Max Verstappen Gossip Club, where we almost gather every single weekend to talk about the same thing, about Max Verstappen breaking another record, winning another race, and then going on to talk more about the F1.5 Championship, which is my favourite. But this is the Inside Line F1.5 podcast, where the world's number one we're not the India's number one Formula One podcast and one of the top five in the world. Slowly, we are going to get to world number one as well, very, very quickly. But uh, we've also had so many great guests on the podcast recently, including the man who has been a part of this domination from Red Bull at a very instrumental part. Uh, Helmut Marko was on the show a few weeks ago to talk about the difference between Max and Seb. Why don't we hear what's the difference between these two drivers? Because at the moment, at least on the record front, they're tied in. Let's listen to Helmut. Sebastian and Max, they've contributed to 79 of the 100 wins that Red Bull Racing has had. Two finds both made by you. What do you see as the difference between the two of them, Dr. Marco? First of all, they are different characters, both completely focused on racing. And they had an unbelievable talent. Maybe Max is more natural. Seb is going into the smallest detail. To be an engineer with him was not a nice time. If you want something, he was, and he was looking and looking at it. There was no, nothing what was by accident. Everything was clearly planned and also executed in this way. Main difference, maybe Max does it more easy. It's more natural. But both are great drivers, no doubt. Welcome back in, folks. And it's hard to disagree. It's a bit of a controversial take from Helmut that Max is a little bit more natural. Well, let's talk about it a little bit later. Firstly, my name is Somal Arora. I am the host of the Indian Racing League on Star Sports. The couple of voices that you're going to hear along with me, firstly, are Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, who's also an F1 consultant and expert for the Viaplay Network in Norway. And of course... F1 stats guru himself, Sundaram Ramaswamy, who's now also a part of the WTF1 team of content creators. And with Max Verstappen, Sundaram, things often get heated. In our last uh, event that we had for the Sun 4 GP back here in Mumbai, people were fighting and cussing because they just couldn't quite accept how good Max Verstappen was. That's usually what happens. And I think people were extremely passionate this time out, considering the fact that he had achieved such a historic landmark. It was a very historic race for Red Bull in that sense. And I think that's the fun part of what happens at these events. People get to share their opinions. They get to discuss with each other and also be a little passionate. And that's what I think is one of the highlights of our event. And that was great to see as well. And all things considered, Kunal, we saw Max doing Max things, but that came in at the back of a crazy race. How often do you have the rain come in just on the second lap? I mean, this weekend we had a driver swap in the middle. We had some crazy qualifying sessions. Ferrari being disappointed. Oh, Williams back in the top three. What more could you ask for? Rain. A lot of rain. rain. And as Max Verstappen has pointed out, since Baku, rain has impacted or you know, we've had at least one wet session at pretty much every race on the calendar. So climate change is for real. In fact, we had one race cancelled, Imola, if you remember, because of rain. But it was a brilliant race. I mean, I was wondering if if the rain came in a little earlier, one lap earlier, could we finally have had a situation where every driver drives in to the pit? And, you know, <laughs> I, memory of Hungary 2022, 
22 or 2020 One. was it i can't remember 20 there you go. yeah whatever but you know that wasn't the case because that was just on the formation lap but i think i think it was one of the best races i have seen we couldn't predict what was literally going to happen i mean what five or six stops to go ahead and win the race eventually by max verstappen but we had george russell lead we had uh, we had Checo Perez lead. There are so many narratives. I mean, this review episode and uh, the Monza preview episode are so close to each other that the narratives will keep changing, but the winner remains the same. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary how things eventually go about with Max Verstappen. But there were other critical parts. Guys, what do we tackle first? Do we want to firstly talk about Alex Albon? Because I am dying to talk about Alex Albon. Or do we firstly want to go and talk about Pierre Gasly? What's the biggest surprise? What do you think, Sindram? Definitely has to be Williams because I think that's one of the most beautiful stories from this season as well, apart from Aston Martin and McLaren. For for the longest time, it seemed that Williams always had a car that would do well on low downforce circuits. And somehow they come up with a car that does well on a circuit that is rated third, uh, in terms of downforce after Monaco and Budapest, uh, the Hungaro ring. And this is something which is still unclear for the larger uh, fraternity or the community in Formula 1. How did Williams manage to put up a car that was constantly good in the wet as well as in the dry across all three days? And this is something that really surprises me. While Ferrari on the other end are faltering when it comes to race strategies, Williams really stick onto one strategy and they're able to execute it well. And how many times have we seen Alex Albon pull a long stint? Uh, millions, millions of times. But this Kunal is the same Williams we saw a couple of years ago not even have their car ready for preseason testing. So it's, it's fun. And you know a car is doing well? When Sergeant Logan, no disrespect, can also get it into Q3. He couldn't quite uh, manage the wins of Q3, though. It was probably a bit too high for him and eventually ended up bowing out over there. But it speaks volumes. And you know the fun part? After the qualifying session, when Alex Albon was asked what exactly went right, he said, I think it was the wind. We got a really good headwind and eventually that helped out our car. Is he channeling the god Aether? Channeling the winds? Making sure that the William goes well? Goes well because that's... Unheard of. I'll tell you. I'll tell you on a technical point. What actually worked was the Williams was able to fire up their tires and keep them in a window, which made them so competitive. Because the question that Sundaram asked is the question that everybody had on their minds: What on earth is a Williams doing on such a high downforce sensitivity circuit, being so high up the ranks? It was, you know, good flashback from the old days of what Williams could do. And mm. mind you, Samuel, this is not the same Williams team that actually didn't have the car ready a couple of you know years ago in preseason testing, with all due respect, because yes, that did happen with Williams. James Wowles and the engineering brilliance he's able to bring in. And that's what Williams essentially needs. They need an engineer that's able to engineer the team back to you know their glory days or closer to their glory days. Don't pardon me for the pun. Probably just happened by itself. But yes, I think, can you imagine Williams doing what they did still becomes a bigger talking point, unfortunately, than Pierre Gasly actually getting it right. He made the perfect tire switch call just the way Checo Perez did. And he made it work on merit. Before we get to Gasly, though, we need to flex about something a little bit, Kunal. We called it. We called it. In the stories to watch for, for the second half of the season, we called that Alex Albon will be qualifying in the top five somewhere. 
we did not know it would be Zanforto. That was totally off the charts. We said Las Vegas, we said Monza. Monza's coming up next, so watch out for that one. But Sandvor, that, that's, uh, I've not pronounced it correctly. I've been so shocked that I've forgotten how to say the name of the circuit properly. But the point being, it's quite, it, it's, it doesn't even add up. It doesn't even make sense. And you're so right. We we just have to talk about Pierre Gasly because that is something scary that Alpine, amidst all the mismanagement, is able to get a podium. And we don't care about it as much. Isn't it, Sundaram? I mean, exactly. And the fact that he he pulled the right call at the very the perfect time. He started from P12 and he is among the very few drivers. I think there was Perez, there was Sonoda, Lawson and Magnussen and even Leclerc who pulled into the pits after the very first lap. And he was able to stay within the top four, top five through the duration of the race, which is extremely good to see. And the fact that Alpine got a double points finish for the first time in close to three months, especially after what what they've been going through over the past couple of weeks, is a great start to the second half of the season. It's it's a good way to the rest of the season. And, you know, Pierre Gasly actually started the summer break also on a high. He was, I think, third in the sprint in Spa, if I remember correctly. So yep. he started this, he ended, you know, he started the summer break and sort of ended the summer break on, on the high and always getting a podium in the Grand Prix is far bigger than getting a podium in the sprint, even if Formula One tells you otherwise. Ladies and gentlemen, remember the Grand Prix <laughs> on Sunday is still the most important race. And, I think what really benefited Gasly was, yes, the the correct call that he made to switch to the Inters, right? And then classic what we've seen this season, if you get track position, it's so difficult to overtake because the cars are so closely matched to each other that you are able to hold on to the track position. On top of that, you had a circuit like Sandford, which is narrow, the cars are wide, beautiful circuit, but it it makes it easier for you to also hold position if you had to, unless you had Fernando Alonso chasing you for position, because then Fernando would do whatever it takes at turn three to get position. And you called it, you really called it in the pre-race show, Kunal, where you actually said that Fernando Alonso will make a move down at turn three and turn four, and he did just that. So let's talk about him for a very, very quick second, because I... We, we sort of knew that with an upgraded Aston Martin, there could be a chance of something better happening in there. But this was a little unheard of. And amidst all the chaos, it's always great to see Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin being the sharpest ones of the lot. So even though the car may not be thereabouts for Aston Martin, it's good to see that they're there, at least in terms of strategic calls, after what was a bit of a debacle in Monaco as well. So good to see Fernando Alonso back on the podium. And on the other hand, where Aston Martin was sharp this time out, McLaren and Mercedes, wow, McLaren and Mercedes together. This this feels like a bit of a throwback <laughs> thing as well. But uh, McLaren and Mercedes together, both of them unable to get things done, which is a bit of a disappointment because when we saw the results from qualifying, when we saw the pace that both Landon Norris and Oscar Piastri were carrying after all the support from all the orange t-shirt wearing fans out here, and even the curbs for that matter, it just was strange that they weren't quite able to get something out. It's like the momentum has been stunted a little bit, Sundaram. No, it's not about the case of momentum, I would say. They did extremely well in qualifying. But the fact is, they were not able to make the right call once again. It's, it's all about strategy. It's about make, making the correct call. And unfortunately, McLaren and Mercedes were one of those, were both those teams that 
waited a bit too long to pit they waited until lap 3 russell actually waited until lap 4 and that's one of the main reasons why they fell down the grid and they really couldn't make their way up I mean, they did uh, make it to 6th and 7th but that was one of the main reasons why the rest of the race wasn't the greatest for them they were somewhere in between the sort of strategies that the top teams like uh, aston martin and red bull did and what williams executed and that was the bad place to be in they really did not recover from that at all yeah they were in like literally strategies no man's land or no woman's exactly. land if if i have to be woke about it right but uh, the the truth is it was so surprising both mclaren and mercedes again tremendous experience they had quicker cars right but there was a point of time when there were where there were eight teams running in the top 10 the only yeah. two teams that didn't have cars running in the top 10 were mclaren and mercedes in the case of mclaren they split strategies because lando norris literally i think it was lap 3 or lap 4 he went on to the radio and he screamed at mclaren because they were arguing mclaren was saying you are quicker on the slicks now already than the others on the inters and i think he had a flashback from russia 2021 where he literally he used some words i will not use on the podcast <laughs> right and then he said guys box lando inters now and he drove into the pits he literally ordered the teams to actually make a stop and give him the inters and that's what sort of got him there but again the the cars had enough pace to find themselves back into the points with all the other interruptions and all the other you know changing conditions that happened but i think mclaren and mercedes both let their drivers down by not being the sharpest when it came to strategy and it's just a matter of one lap isn't it how your judgment can be slightly tainted in one lap we saw this with uh, sergio perez and max verstappen as well where sergio was able to come out 14 seconds ahead of max with a couple of cars and joe quan you also very randomly in the middle uh, between all those two as well but it's amazing how one lap can make all the difference and eventually in the grand scheme of things it didn't really add up for both of them but i find it interesting how formula 1 is all about partially luck as well because it's all about feel right and and what we had uh, also discussed in 2021 after the russian gp i remember very distinctively was that you can't fault lando norris for the process of using his instinct to make a call on something quite like that so in the same way i don't think you can fault the drivers for what they did just that sometimes it works out for you and sometimes it doesn't when it doesn't work out is for sergio perez let's just talk about the elephant in the room shall we sundaram yet again uh unfortunate qualifying where he got caught out by a bit of a bit of a poor strategy call in hindsight i i think at the moment in time it is very tricky to tell what the conditions were like when he went out for a double run on the soft compound tires but at the end of the day facts are facts people will remember the results and p7 wasn't quite the best to start off with in qualifying so maybe next time out when we go to monza two qualifying checo gets another chance that's exactly what happened this time so it's it's happened it happened at the british grand prix as well where in changeable conditions he was sent out first and he probably lost out compared to the others and this time that's what happened so he's started lower down on the grid and it seems all the bad luck and all the all the fumbles are happening at that side of the garage and everything is perfect when it happens with verstappen and perez went off track there was a little fumble in the pit stops as well and Perez wasn't given the priority when it came to switching on to slicks. I I know a lot of people questioning this. How was Verstappen given the priority considering Perez was leading? But if you look at the bigger picture, 
it was a historic moment for Verstappen. Would if they had given Perez the priority, probably he would have been ahead. But Verstappen was on the record equaling race, and <laughs> they also have to keep him happy. He is the person who's going to be winning the title this year, and I definitely feel in the longer run, Perez is expendable. Verstappen's not. Mm. And Ferrari, sorry, and not Ferrari. We got to wait till we talk of Ferrari. And uh-huh. Red Bull also want to make these records. They want to be remembered forever for, and you know that the fact that they made these records. And if Max is getting them the records, why not? Clearly, it didn't matter where Checo finished, and they gave him the opportunity to finish second. Right. The f- the funniest thing that you know the most Perez thing happened to Checo. Right. Just before the red flag, when he came into pit, if you if you remember, he came into pit, and then the you know race was red flagged, so he was stuck in the pit lane. He couldn't leave because the pit lane was red. He actually aquaplaned in the pit lane. He brushed his right hand side front wheel, right, and not only did he cause damage to, of course, his rear wing and his right front, but that brushing is what actually slowed him oh no didn't slow him down in time for the pit lane entry and that's why he actually got a speeding whatever pet time penalty a five second time penalty but yeah just Perez things with Sergio similarly just Leclerc things with Charles that's what happened imagine we're talking of mixed conditions everybody's trying to come and pit and think and Ferrari is what they're not even ready with inters for their drivers yeah it's a madness madness all the way through but I think Leclerc also on Saturday was showing the world why he's a perfect fit for Ferrari because he ended up making the same mistake at the same corner four times. Classic. That's what the team does as well in the grand scheme of things. It's a perfect fit the way things are going about. But what I don't like is the fact that he's taken this long to realize that at Ferrari, you've got to guide the team and maybe grab them by the jugular and make them do things. It's finally taken him, how many years has it been? 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, five years at Ferrari to realize that he has to direct them after qualifying one. And that's the lesson he's learned from Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Vettel. But maybe, folks, that's, 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 the reason why we're, that's the reason why Ferrari and winning a championship over there is just such a valuable thing for all the drivers, why there is so much allure. Because doing it as a driver, that's one thing. But doing it as a driver and also chief strategist, that Sundaram is an achievement unlike any other. So Leclerc, he's getting there actually, finally. Absolutely. I mean, he put out a very strong message after qualifying, after they narrowly narrowly got into Q2. And I think he took it a little bit too far in, in the race as well. He was directing the team what they had to do in qualifying and he was also directing the team what they had to do in the race. But he didn't give them enough time to come out with the tyres because what happened apparently, Leclerc was just entering the final corner when he realised it's it's raining way too much and he decided to just dive into the pit and that's when he radioed in that I am coming into the pits and they didn't have enough time to bring out the tyres and once again, they fumbled at Sandford. And... How is it that Ferrari is the only team that didn't have tires ready? It's not that, yeah. you know, Charles was 90 seconds ahead of the pack and he came in before the other 19 drivers. It was obvious they were going to come in. I mean, they just found a way to fumble it. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Vasur, Binotto, Arriva Ben, Dominicali, whoever, but yeah. Ferrari will just find a way to do Ferrari things. Maybe they just want to finish all their mistakes before they go for a glory run this weekend in Monza in front of the Tifosi. And can you imagine finishing P5 with Carlos Sainz? And Carlos Sainz says, we actually delivered a perfect race on my side of the garage. I mean, that's 50% of the race perfectly delivered instead of the possible 100%. But before we end, 
we should talk about Daniel Ricardo, that strange looking crash, which he said he had to either hit the wall or hit PS3. I'm glad he hit the wall. I'm sure everybody would have chosen the wall. But poor chap, he's now probably out. And the biggest headache I wish that Daniel Ricardo's crash will create for Red Bull is who to put in the FP1 sessions because Nick yes. DeFries did one FP se- FP1 session in Bahrain. So that's one strike for Alpha Tauri. Liam Lawson, he still didn't do an FP1. He did an FP3, which means in Monza, FP1 is both of Alpha Tauri's FP1 sessions over and done with. Now, if Liam Lawson drives more races than Monza, if he drives in Singapore, let's just assume, then he's no longer a rookie which means Red Bull Racing has to look at somebody else altogether, not Sebastian Buemi, to put as a rookie <laughs> in the car for FP1. Yeah, that's a problem to actually have as well. But on on the crash for a quick second, I know it's a tricky one to dissect because eventually the poor lad has broken his hand and that's really a shame about what happened. And I don't think you can fault him for what he was doing at that moment because then he tried to steer it away and... I know it's a basic racing thing where you have to take your hands away from the wheel. And I think he did the right thing because, of course, he would have gone into Piastri and that's not what we want. So, fair sacrifice to make. But before that, when you look at the onboard, I know I'm in the most comfortable position in the world in a beautiful room with the AC running. I'm sitting on a lovely chair, great laptop, totally great day. But in that car, when the conditions are so tricky, it's hard to make that judgment. But nonetheless, heading into the corner, it seemed like there was ample of room on the inside line and Piastri was also parked just outside the white line, which is normally where you shouldn't really go, right? You shouldn't really go outside the circuit as well. So, say what you want about the crash eventually. It just was a bit of a strange loss of control in the first place that eventually caused it. And that for me, Kunal, is, is, is a strange one for someone like Daniel Ricciardo who's so experienced. So, Mistakes can happen from even the best ones. Correct. Yeah, he did make a mistake. And that's why he had enough momentum to go on the outside of the circuit, but not correct and take the inside line and avoid PS3 altogether. He did make a mistake. And that's where he lost control eventually. And then it was like, now that I've lost control, what do I hit and who do I miss? And that's the decision he had to make. But great for Liam Lawson to actually, uh, you know, he's never driven on the slicks. He's never done a qualifying in mixed conditions. He's never done a race where there were five or six pit stops. So this is like baptism by water for Liam Lawson. <laughs> baptism by <laughs> Nice one. Uh, something like that was a Lawson joke. I tried. <laughs> I tried. It didn't work out. No, but I think, I think Liam Lawson has three main takeaways from the race. I mean, like I said, it, it was a wet race and under changeable conditions. Firstly, he did not make a mistake. He, he did have a penalty, but which wasn't a f- uh, because of his own, his own fault. Secondly, yeah. he managed to overtake Charles Leclerc. But yet again, Leclerc had floor damage. And momentarily, he was able to get past Max Verstappen as well. So in probably one of the most trickiest rookie races, I think he fared pretty well. He did, yeah. And even though the qualifying time might be very far off, it's a good start. At least he has one more race in Italy before he can try his hand out. And Daniel Ricciardo will be calling in lunch door to ask for tips. Like, buddy, how do you drive with a broken hand? Tell me more because I can't wait to get back in this car. But craziness all around. And as is always the case, no matter what happens, no matter what we discuss, at the end of it all, Max Verstappen wins. And let just, let's that, uh, my God, 
I can't think properly because he's corrupted my mind with all the success. But let that be the takeaway of this entire episode and of this entire weekend. That no matter what happens in the world, Verstappen is going to be the winner. But is that going to be the case in Italy? That we shall discuss in our Italian GP preview episode, which comes out in a couple of days' time. So stay tuned for that one, folks. That's it for everyone right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast for the Zanvoort review. See you in a couple of days. Have fun. Bye-bye.